Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. The passage for today is Matthew 16, 24, and 25, and then also Romans 1, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Romans 5 verses 1 through 5, peace with God through faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're finally at the end of our journey through this series on union with Christ, and I want to just remind you, uh, as we get started, the the reason why we went through this series. And uh, it's really really simple. Uh, It's just for for one reason, one purpose, and, and that's that I wanted you to know Jesus the way that He knows you. That's basically the purpose of this entire series, you know. Uh, throughout uh, and and past get past all the the fancy words adoption glorification justification sanctification uh, the benefits of union union with Adam all of the stuff like the heart of this series really is that I want you to know Jesus the way that He knows you I want you to know Him the way that He knows you and I wanted us to push back against any kind of bankrupt idea that you've heard um, through your exposure to Christians or growing up in a Christian family or a Christian context, anything that you had ingested, really anything that would suggest that being a Christian is anything other than a vital, intimate, confident, safe, an unshakable union, intimate union with Jesus. That was a purpose. Or if we can just use the language of the Bible here, uh, we went through this series so that you and that me, so that we might know with all of the saints, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. That's the point. How many, we have this diamond here, and how many ways can we turn it and different angles and perspectives can we take so that we might know the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of God's love for us in Christ Jesus? That is really the beauty of belonging to Jesus. That's the beauty of Christianity. Um. Okay, so let's let's jump in to our topic tonight. And tonight... I mentioned this last week. Uh, I want to talk about 
Union in the day-to-day. Union in everyday life. What does union with Christ mean for me right now in large group? Tomorrow morning when I wake up and go to class. Tomorrow or next week when I lose a friendship. Tomorrow, next week when I gain a new friendship or when I uh, grow in my insecurity or when mental health becomes a major issue or whatever it may be. What does it mean for the here and the now? Um, there's a really important theme and pattern that you will see a lot of in the Apostle Paul's writings and a lot of the books that he writes. And it's what theologians have called the already and not yet. All right, the already and the not yet. And here's the best way to think about this. Uh, What do believers... Uh, being united to Jesus, right? What do, what do Christians already experience in their union with Jesus here and now? What do they already experience? And then what do they not yet experience in their union with Jesus? What do we already experience? And what do we not yet experience? Think of it this way. If we were to translate, here it comes, Christian. You ready for this? If we were to translate Paul's dry, boring language into the uh, hip jargon of our cultural moment, because we're all hip, so we're very familiar with that lexicon, we might say that this is the, the, the bet and the finna of the Christian life, okay? The be- I feel like such a dad right now. Can I just say that? There was a day when I said this and I sounded cool, but we're just going to roll with the weirdness of it coming out of my mouth. It's the bet and the finna of the Christian life. So you guys all say this uh, in your text messages to me. You know, you want to grab coffee? Bet. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Like, you're just cool, right? You know what it means. And so if I ask you, uh, hey, are you good at basketball? And uh, you say bet, like bet. That means for sure. Like, it's definitive. It's a guarantee, right? That's the translation. It's a given. It's a current, present reality. Bet. I'm great at basketball, okay? On the other hand, if you say, I'm finna get some RUF swag, then that means that you're going to get some swag. You're going to. Uh, It's still a guarantee, but it's not yet a reality, it's a future reality. Bet is a, it's a present reality. Like, yeah, I'm good at basketball. Finna uh, is a future reality. Okay, so likewise in the Christian life, there are certain things that we can bet on experiencing now, and there are certain things we're finna experience. Okay, we're going to experience. Now, Why is this important for our topic tonight on union with Christ on Tuesday nights? Why is this important? Here's why. If you were to ask Paul, should I expect, hey Paul, should I expect elation and pure happiness and no mental health stuff and perfect harmony and a campy-like atmosphere 
in all of my life now that I'm a Christian and I'm united to Christ? And in our jargon, Paul would answer, no, you're finna be, but not yet. Okay, so there's the, the bet and the finna, right? You're, you're, you're finna be, not yet, right? And if you were to ask Paul, hey, Paul, should I expect suffering and sadness and trial and temptations now that I'm a Christian and united to Christ? Paul would say, bet. Yes. Already. That's a given. That's what you should expect in the normal Christian life of union with Jesus. You should not expect, uh, let's see, where are you, Avery? Avery, I hope, Lord willing, you have a great experience at Camp Merrimack this summer. The Christian life will not be like Camp Merrimack. I don't know a thing about Hume Lake, okay? I'm sure it's great. The Christian life is nothing like Hume Lake. As much as we need more camps, and we encourage you to experience that, and it's beautiful and fun and all the gloriousness of campy stuff, right? We love it. I want my kids to do it. That's not the normal Christian life. That's the, I'm 12 and my parents paid lots of money for me because they were scared I might do drugs when I get older, so they sent me to camp, Christian life. But that's not always going to be that way, right? You should do camps, okay? Sorry, anybody listens to this podcast, I love camps. Um, that's, uh, that's not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is usually lived in the valley, okay? Not, not on a mountaintop, it's in the valley. The normalness, right? And so that's where I want to camp out tonight. That's what we can expect, and I feel like this is a good way to send you off, those of you who are returning next year, send you off into the summers to just begin to chew on this, of like, sometimes summers are just boring, and you're just waiting to return to school because that's fun, but Jesus is still there, and he's still working with you, and then for those of you especially that are going off and graduating, and you're about to realize that college is the ultimate camp experience and there's nothing else in life that's remotely close to this where you live with 40,000 people that basically all have crushes on the same people and struggle with the same kind of things. And now you're trying to relate to 15-year-olds and 40-year-olds and divorced people and creepy people and smelly people and, you know, like just, yeah, you you need this uh, this vision of the normal Christian life, of union with Christ in the day-to-day. So that's where we're going to camp out tonight. Um, this reality, that, that our current experience, that the Christian's current experience of union with Christ is one of suffering. As we just read in the Gospel of Matthew, it's a cross-bearing experience, one that takes up a cross and follows Jesus. It's a cruciform union where we take up that cross daily and we follow Christ dying to ourselves. All right, now here's the kicker. And this is where um, if anything sticks tonight, I just want this sentence to stick, to chew on it and think about it and process it as you read the Bible. Um, This is the kicker. That's where God meets you. Okay, in the daily cross-bearingness of the Christian life. That is where God meets you. That is where Jesus meets you, and that's where God is at work, and that's where he does his best work. 
So hear me, don't avoid your cross. Don't avoid your crosses. Don't ghost them, don't deny them, don't hide from them because that's where God meets you and that's where you need to see how God's at work. Okay, so for the rest of the evening, right, the first is the, the bet and the fender of the Christian life, the already and the not yet. So we know we're just shaping expectations. We're in the already part. What are we already gonna experience in the Christian life? And that's to say, our life's gonna look like a lot like uh, Jesus's life, right? Because we're united to him. And so our life now is patterned after his life unto death and then from death to glory. Glory is a not yet reality. Um, So for the rest of the evening, I want us to reflect on suffering in really practical ways uh, and and to reflect on how God is at work in our suffering, okay? So the first thing um, I want to point out is what does the Bible mean by suffering? What do I mean by suffering? And here's what you should know. We think in extremes, uh, but the Bible reshapes our understanding. It gives us a realism about suffering. So uh, we think in extremes, right? When we hear the word suffering, we think of starvation. We think of political expression. These are the images that come to mind. We think of genocide, we think of poverty, we think of abuse. We go to these extreme forms of suffering, these extreme forms. And now, these are certainly within the realm of suffering, so don't hear me say that they're not. They are extreme forms of suffering that the Bible speaks very plainly about. Okay, so that is suffering. But the Bible also broadens the category to an all-encompassing category. So suffering, according to the Bible, in the broadest sense of the word, is all of life lived in a fallen world. Every ounce of your life lived this side of heaven, this side of union and communion with God in the flesh, is a suffering life. That is suffering. Whether you experience the extreme forms of it that we just named, right? Or you don't experience those forms. Life lived disconnected and disordered from God and from his world is suffering. That is suffering because it's a life lived in a way that it was not intended to be lived. And so here's the point as it bears upon our understanding of union with Jesus. As long as you live a life disconnected from Jesus your suffering leaves you hopeless. Suffering really is kind of meaningless apart from Jesus because as you suffer and you think, who can overcome these wounds? Who can overcome these scars? Who can overcome these trials? You really have no answer for that. I mean, you could say, I will because I'm strong and I have these socks that talk about how like, women are the future or docile men are the future or whatever it may be. But that, I'm sorry, as is, is valiant and as beautiful as some of those efforts are, it's just not going to fix everything. This is that EDM, what is it called? ASMR. ASMR. Ksh, ksh, thingy. Me and Sarah are really in on that now. We have Instagram accounts where we do those things. Uh, 
what was I saying? Um, right, like you can't fix that yourself. Like you can self-care, but some of these wounds cut so deep that like humanity has not been able to fix these things. But suffering in union with Christ, as Paul says in Romans 5, uh, suffering in union with Christ produces hope. It doesn't put us to shame, right? When Paul says that, um, and hope does not put us to shame, you know what suffering apart from union with Christ looks like? It looks like shame. Because eventually you will find out that your efforts to prevent your suffering aren't actually going to work. But suffering in union with Christ produces hope because it doesn't put you to shame. Because suffering in this life, in union with Christ, conforms you into the image of Jesus. And let me just say this. The Bible actually doesn't give us a lot of clarity. It doesn't speak in a lot of specifics about why we suffer. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen, um, period? Why do uh, bad things happen to good people? Why do good things uh, happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? On and on, all the questions, right? It doesn't actually give us a lot of specifics on that. But it does give us a God who is well acquainted with grief and sorrows and pain and suffering. So the beauty that Paul uh, is communicating to us here is that suffering in union with Christ actually produces hope because it's transforming you into that not yet reality that we so long for, which is to be made whole, to be made new. Okay, so that's the Bible's understanding of suffering. I just want to simply point that out because we need to broaden our understanding of suffering. So next I want to look at where do you suffer? Where are you suffering and where are you not acknowledging your suffering? You know, when we understand the Bible's take on suffering and then we begin to look at our own lives, we start to have maybe, uh, we start to talk to ourselves a bit more gently and maybe more kindly because we realize, you know, this thing over here that I was really just frustrated with about myself is actually just a place of suffering in my life. It's, it's one of the cries of my heart that's longing for Jesus to meet me here and to trust him more deeply through this suffering, knowing that he will make me new. And so where, where are you suffering? Where are you not acknowledging your suffering? And how might God be at work there? Okay, so we're just going to talk about a few, few different things, and then we'll, we'll pray and send you out to your breakout groups. Let's talk about identity for a moment. Okay, identity. Identity is, is perhaps uh, the hottest topic right now in our cultural moment, whether it's sexual identity, um, political identity, gender identity, racial identity. Identity is kind of the sacred cow of our cultural moment. And here's what our culture wants us to believe The story that it's telling us is that you are in full control of your identity and that you can identify however you want and that anything less than that is less than human. What it actually means to be human is to fully realize who you want to be, to manifest. I think that's a thing now that Morgan's been talking to me some, this manifesting thing. Just nod your head if everybody's aware of this thing. That is so crazy to me. I, can I just point this out? It's so weird to me 
that I live in an area where there are yard signs in everyone's yard that say, I believe in science. And then simultaneously, they really want to believe in manifesting. Um, That's just not scientific at all. Anyways, that's beside the point. Uh, Identity is this thing like fully realizing who you are, manifesting the, the life that you want to live, however you actually do that. Like that's the thing. And our culture wants you to believe that you're in total control of that. And you can identify however you want to. Uh, A sociologist named Robert Bella calls this radical individualism. And here's what he says. He says, radical individualism is a powerful cultural fiction that we not only can, but must make up our deepest beliefs in isolation, in the isolation of our private selves. So that means everything, the things that are most meaningful and virtuous and impactful in your life need to be formed and shaped in a vacuum, in isolation to your private self. Look inward. What does your heart tell you? Ghost the entire world and be alone and then determine what's most important in the entire world based on your little tiny heart and your feelings that change from one 10-minute segment to the next 10 minute segment. So I think what I just want to say about this is that life lived as it relates to identity, life lived without confidence in our true identity is suffering. So I'm not trying to throw shade on the idea that people struggle with identity, who we are and why we are the way we are. And can we be the way that we think we are? And should we be the way that we want to be or don't want to be? Or if we don't want to be the way that we think we should be, is that like oppressive? All those different questions, like that is a real thing, okay? And all of us struggle with that in our own ways. But I just want to say that is suffering. And that is a product of the fall. And that is something that will not exist and was not supposed to exist. But the remedy that we come up with with for our identity issues doesn't work. It doesn't work. And in fact, the identity, the remedies that we come up with to solve our identity issues are actually a way of avoiding the suffering and the crosses that God puts in your life to really see him work mightily. You're not going to fix that by yourself. And so in reality, as hard as this may be, and I really want to slow down because guys, like, you know, I'm a a heterosexual white male, okay? Like, anybody looking at me would be like, it's easy for you to say evangelical man from the South, now talking to people in Berkeley about Jesus. Like, it's easy for you to say, uh, I get that, okay? Fair point. I have my own little things that uh, I could push back with in terms of my own struggles. But, I, you know, maybe identity, like the world was really groomed for people that have my identity to, to make it easy for us. I get that, okay? Um, but, and I, so I want to take it seriously, but I also want to say that like, perhaps what God is saying and is calling you to do is to come to him with your tears over it. Not your solutions, not your self-salvation project, because that 
really is the heart of the identity issue. So we're, we're not okay with ourselves, and we're just not sure what to do about that. But the Bible is sure. The Bible says that only Jesus can heal us. So go to Jesus with that suffering, right? So I want to also draw some lines, some parallels. Like when I say the Bible doesn't give us a lot of specifics about suffering, like the whys, I mean, we know the big answer is like the fall and sin and brokenness. But, you know, that's kind of broad, right? It doesn't really get into the details. It doesn't give us a lot of those details, but it does give us a person who meets us there. Jesus meets us in our suffering, just like Jesus meets us in glory. So when we look at Jesus's life, you know, look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you don't know, perhaps you're not familiar, this is right before Jesus is arrested. And Jesus is crying and praying so hard that like blood, drops of blood are kind of pouring out of his pores. Uh, And really what we're getting a glimpse of is a battle over identity. Jesus suffering with his identity. Because Jesus is there and he's fully aware of, of who he is or who he's called to be and what that means for him. And you know what it means for him? Suffering. Death. He doesn't, there's nothing wrong with counseling, nothing wrong with medication, but like Jesus doesn't pivot there and say, okay, I need to go to a self-care conference. I need to get the best meds that money can buy. I need to get all of these things because the last thing that I need right now is a cross. But that's how we all feel. And that's how Jesus felt. The last thing I need right now is a cross. And so he pleads with God, please take it away. Please take this away. If there's any other way, please take this away. But then he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's the cross bearing. Not my will, but your will be done. And so here's the hope for us. In your union with Jesus, Jesus says those words for you too. Bearing your cross is not all on you. When we read the passage in Matthew... Uh, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Uh, If you just end there and you stop reading in the Gospel of Matthew, all you have is legalism. But if you keep reading all the way to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, who's the first person to take up their cross, to deny themselves, and to die to themselves? It's Jesus. Jesus goes first. Jesus says those words first. And so we lean on him in our suffering, even over our identity. So taking up our cross means that, at least with this, it means that you trust the words that God speaks over you more than the words that you speak over yourself. And that's really hard. That's not like a camp experience. That's really hard. So especially when you're in college and you're learning all these new things and you're figuring out who you are and your identity and all these different things, there's going to be a lot of appealing things and a lot of appealing things that you need to take to God and take to the Bible and take to me and take to your friends and wrestle with them. Do not shy away from them. Hear me on that. Do not shy away from that. You've still got to be in the world, right? Read it, think about it, wrestle with it, cry over it, whatever it may be, but bring it to Jesus 
and, and, and trust that God's story over who you are is greater and truer than the story that you can say about yourself. All right, so let's talk about relationships, another area of suffering. So we suffer in our identity. We suffer in our relationships, our friendships, our roommates, our dating lives. And you know how you're going to suffer in these areas and you already have suffered in these areas? People are going to let you down. Pastors are going to let you down, okay? People will let you down. They will mistreat you. They won't live up to your expectations. They will leave you out. They'll exclude you at times. They may betray you. And so how do you, how do you handle this suffering? Usually we don't even like to call this suffering. We just like to complain about it, right? So how, do you, how are you going to handle the fact that that is actually suffering? That is disordered and disoriented uh, connection with people. You're disconnected from your neighbor, and that was not meant to be, so it's suffering. So how do you handle that? Do you ghost people? Do you disappear? Do you move away from the conflict? Do you disappear so that you're never hurt again? Do you like double down and fortify yourself so that you're always in control and you're always in the driver's seat and you're never vulnerable? Do you gossip about the people that hurt you? Do you tear down others so that you can really control the narrative about yourself? You shape and frame people in certain ways so that people will always kind of understand you in a positive light? Well, maybe in this suffering, maybe God's at work in these broken relationships. Maybe rather than running from them or ghosting them or ignoring them, maybe you should lean into them. Maybe you should bring this pain to God as well. Because God knows this pain. Jesus knows this pain. And Jesus' greatest moment of need, there in that garden, his friends abandon him. They run away. And some of them even deny that they ever even knew Jesus. And yet, what happens? Jesus returns to his friends. He returns to them and he restores them. And so perhaps you're suffering in relationships and friendships with your roommates and dating in your marriage, whatever it may be. Perhaps your suffering in those relationships will be the very thing that restores and heals you and your friends. Again, culture would say, you don't have time for people that, that don't do what you want them to do, basically. But Jesus says, you've got all the time in the world for people that don't do what you want them to do because I've got all the time in the world for you and you don't do what I want you to do. And there Jesus is at work in that suffering. All right, so what about the demands of life? Just broadly. Some of you are graduating. Some of you are going into jobs over the summer. So you've got demands in life that will creep up in your work, in your vocation, um, in your marriages. For those of you who get married, which 
will probably be most of you at some point. Um, it's okay if it's not you. You'll have demands in the single life as well. Demands in parenting. What about the demands of life? So we will always struggle and be tempted by this grass is greener syndrome. This thought that like, if I get this job, if I have this relationship, if I have these kind of children, if I live in this kind of home, whatever it might be, then I will be happy. But the reality is, is not to pick on you, Morgan Brown, Morgan Brown's going to go to Greece because that's where you get that honeymoon, then you'll be happy. And something's just going to let you down about Greece, just a little bit. Food, food's not quite right, and want no ice in my drink, and, you know, Isaiah just was too sleepy and didn't want to explore. Whatever, you know, something's just always going to be inadequate. It's going to let you down. And you will always suffer here. You will always suffer with the demands of life. Your work will be hard. It will be frustrating. You will feel inadequate and insecure about your ability to do it. You will feel like a fraud. Your marriage will let you down. Your spouse will hurt you. Your children won't listen to you. They will embarrass you in public. They may make terrible decisions with their life. Right? And so what's the solution here? Do you avoid all of this suffering? Do you just avoid it all? And like, I'm not going to bring any children into this world because like, you know, this world's a terrible place and I just don't want to experience any of this pain and hurt and trauma. No. Like, is that the solution? Or do you trust that God will actually be with you and teach you and shape you into the image of his son through these sufferings? Perhaps there's life to be found in changing a thousand little diapers. Like, here's the problem with the socks that talk about how much power we have, right? One day, you're going to have poop underneath your fingernails because you love somebody. And it may not even be a baby. It may be because you're taking care of your parents or your spouse in your old age. Like, what's so empowering about that? And you know what Jesus is saying? You know what Paul is saying here in Romans 5? Everything. 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 Suffering produces hope. The little tiny deaths that you die every day and the little tiny deaths that you see happen in people's lives every day, they produce hope. Jesus meets you uniquely right now in this current experience of your union with him, in your suffering, in your encounter with death. I mean, we can think again of the demands of Jesus' life. Think of Jesus carrying the cross, his vocation, his work, what he was called to do. And at any moment, he could have bailed. He could have folded. He could have said, I just want to avoid all this. Like, this is too much. I need my freedom. This is too demanding. But instead, Jesus leans into and trusts God's call on his life, his vocation in God's world, and that is to carry a cross to his death in order to give us life. Suffering produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So the list could go on and on and on, right? We could, we could bring up so many practical examples from really extreme suffering to even just like I was talking with Morgan the other day and students on this call thinking like, am I funny? 
Like, do people like me? Am I funny? And I, at the heart of that, you know what that's asking is like, do people like like me and want to be around me? Do they love me? Am I lovable? Like, that's suffering. Okay, and so we could just, the list could go on and on and on. Every inch of our lives is touched by the fall, which means we suffer. But every inch of our lives are being healed and restored through our union with Jesus in his sufferings. And it is a suffering that produces hope, that does not put us to shame, that is unto a glorified, resurrected reality with him. This is why we have hope in our sufferings, because Jesus is there with us. And out of that darkness, his light will always shine. I want to close on um, a story. Uh, many of you know uh, my, my best friend, Matt, who is uh, an RUF campus minister. Um, he did our fall retreat a couple years ago. And he, he shared some of this story there, if you were there. Um, his brother, who was a pastor in Nashville, died when he was uh, 39 years old from colon cancer. And he had three little girls at the time who were all under the age of eight or nine, I think, the youngest being three. 39 years old, died of colon cancer. And by God's grace, um, Matt basically was able to kind of read the writing on the wall as uh, his brother's death approached. He knew it was coming, and so he was able to go and spend the last few weeks of his brother's life with him. Um, and so it literally went from uh, one week them watching their favorite movies together that they grew up watching as kids to by the end of Josh's brother's last week of life, Matt carrying his brother up the stairs because he couldn't talk, he couldn't walk. His body was like eating away at itself. And Matt just kept saying that that week reminded him so much of Holy Week that it was just down, 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 down. Death, 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 death. Until he was literally in the room when Josh took his final breath. And of course, who has answers to this? Like, why? Why does this happen to Josh? Why does this happen to Matt? Why does this happen to his little girls and his wife? And to all his friends and his congregation. And Matt processed this and thought about this. And he told me this story, reflecting on this with his counselor, and uh, about just how, how dark it was. Um, that week with Josh. And he said his counselor looked at him, his therapist, and he said, uh, Matt, this is why you were made to go into the dark with people. And let me tell you something. As a pastor, that's what it means to really see life in other people. It's to get really comfortable in the dark, to go into the dark places of your lives and in my life to share it. And our suffering allows us to do that. And friends, here's the most beautiful point. Jesus was made to go into the dark, painful places of your life. And union with him means that you need to go there with him. You need to go there with him and you need to watch him work. And even in those dark places, you will get glimpses of the life 
that is yet to come in all of its fullness. A life of no suffering, a life of harmony, a life of wholeness, a life that is no less than union and communion with God. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you that we do not need to escape from the normal trials of everyday life, but that you've actually promised to meet us there and to teach us and to shape us and to grow us more and more into the image of your Son, and that it's producing hope in us, a hope that will not put us to shame in some mysterious way. It will bring about a confidence in the world that is to come and the life that is to come. So, Father, we pray that no matter what we're struggling with and suffering with this day, would you give us courage in Christ to look that suffering square in the face and bring it to you and to abide in you as we process the pain in our lives and we trust in you and your story that you're making all things new. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.